Welcome to Live Free, Ride Free, where we talk to people who have lived self-actualized lives on their own terms and find out how they got there, what they do, how we can get there, what we can learn from them, how to live our best lives, find our own definition of success, and most importantly, find joy. I'm your host, Rupert Isaacson, New York Times best-selling author of The Horse Boy, founder of New Trails Learning Systems and LongRideHome.com. You can find details of all our programs and shows on RupertIsaacson.com. Welcome to Live Free, Ride Free, episode number one. This is your host, Rupert Isaacson. Some of you may already know me from my book and film, The Horse Boy, which told the story of how I and my autistic, then very severely autistic son, Rowan, travelled across Mongolia in search of healing on horseback because he had become verbal in the saddle in front of me. And then a subsequent book called The Long Ride Home, which talked about three further journeys that we made in Africa and in the Australian rainforests and in the Navajo reservation, again looking for healing and finding it. What is live free, ride free. It's about people who self-actualize. What does that mean? It really means we're talking with people who've managed to successfully live life following their passionate interests. We could call that living life on your own terms. We could call that achieving a certain freedom. We could call that fulfillment. We could call that living a life of creativity and joy. But really what it comes down to is how is it possible to live a dream, to dream a dream, go after it and live it? Because so often we're told that this is not possible. The, the messages that we get at school, often from our parents, from the wider community are, no, you can't do that. You've got to go for security. You've got to get a job. You've got to immediately get on the property ladder as quickly as you can. You've got to be responsible. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And really the underlying message of that for so many of us growing up is you're not allowed to have fun. Fun is counterproductive to success, even though people who are successful seem to have quite a lot of fun. And I remember seeing that, you know, noticing that when I was quite young thinking, well, how does that correlate? Well, we're not here to have fun. We're here to work. Well, why can't work be fun? Well, you're not here to have fun, you're here to learn. Well, why can't learning be fun? Why can't it be joyful? I never really bought it. I never really bought the line that you had to suffer somehow in order to be worthy. And I never quite bought the line that you had to have a bad time in order to effectively have a good time. So where was the missing link? And it's, it's, it's something that has gone through my whole life. So let me talk a little bit about my own story, Rupert. So I've spent my life really making my living, doing things that everyone told me you can't make a living at. It started really early with my interest in writing stories and drawing pictures and that sort of thing. And people said, well, that's a waste of time. You should be doing more maths. You should be doing more science. And I was like, well, I'm not really good at those. And um, it's not that I don't find them interesting, but when I'm in those classes at school, my teachers humiliate me and make me feel really stupid. So I find it rather difficult to learn under those circumstances. So naturally, I gravitate towards the things that I find not only easier, but that give me joy. And what happened was I ended up becoming a writer. 
Now, people said, oh, well, you can't make a living at writing. And I remember hearing that um, as a sort of a teenager, thinking, well, but you go into a bookstore and there are thousands of books in there that are being published by companies that have been around for some of them for over 100 years, who've obviously made quite a lot of money publishing these books. And some of these writers must obviously be making their living doing it. Or how would they possibly be able to spend the time? It's very time consuming writing books, writing these books. So I remember thinking, I think I could probably do that. And then also in my childhood and early teens, I was always horse mad, horse obsessed, horse driven. As a three-year-old, I was always being found in my aunt's farm, sitting out in the field with her old retired horses, just talking to them. And it was very, very clear that I was going to have a life around horses. And I remember my own parents saying to me, well, Rupe, you know, that's just an expensive hobby. You can't, you can't do that. And I remember thinking, yeah, but there seems to be this thing called the bloodstock industry. There seems to be this thing called the horse industry. And people seem to buy and sell horses. And people seem to get paid to be professional riders. And people seem to get paid to breed horses. And where is the disconnect? Why can't I develop a skill set where I could maybe make my living doing this as well as other things? And of course, that's ended up, you know, what happened. And then when I was very young too, sort of 16, 17, I got really rather heavily into playing fantasy role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, that sort of thing, and uh, smoking too much of things I shouldn't smoke and listening to too much heavy metal and doing it partly because I was a bit depressed and partly because it was fun and an escapism. And again, people saying, well, this is a waste of time. You, you, you can't make a living doing this. This is, you know, this is just not you know, something which is going to be productive for you. And I remember looking at these Dungeons and Dragons books and these Dungeons and Dragons figurines and saying, well, someone's getting paid here because someone is publishing these books. Someone is selling these games. Someone is creating these figurines. Why not me? And of course, as we all know, um, the gaming industry since then in the last couple of decades has taken off exponentially. It's now worth much, much more than any other sector of the entertainment industry. And uh, I ended up getting together with a group of people and putting together a TV show called The Quest, which is exactly about gamers and putting people into a fantasy world, teamed up with the people who made Lord of the Rings and that sort of thing. Now, how did I become a professional writer? I ended up writing a couple of bestsellers. How did I end up becoming a professional horse trainer? I travel all over the world doing that now. How did I end up um, producing media, including this gaming stuff? Well, I simply did it because I felt I didn't really have any other choice. I was so compelled by these interests that I had, these passions, if you like, that I had, that I couldn't really think about doing much else. But in order to establish myself while I was trying to figure out the professional tracks of this, I did every Joe job under the sun. You know, I have done every construction site. I have been a window cleaner. I have been an industrial cleaner. I have cleaned toilets. I have shoveled snow. I have, I have, I have, I have every menial job you can think of. And I did this for some years. And so what is true is that when you want to live free and ride free, the early years of this can be quite uncertain. And not everybody can deal with that uncertainty and that anxiety without mentorship. I didn't really have much mentorship, but I, what I did have was a family where there was somewhat of a tradition of freelancers. And uh, so it wasn't completely outside the box, even though my parents were skeptical about the horse side of things and certainly skeptical about the gaming and heavy metal side of things. By the way, I do have a heavy metal band 
and hopefully we will be producing an album for next year, which I'll turn you guys on to. But the writing, at the very least, they, they, they could see that that could work if one really put one's mind to it. Um, so I didn't have much mentorship. I had a bit of a precedent to follow. What do you do if you're coming out of a situation where everyone is giving you negative feedback, but there's this little niggling part of you that says, yeah, but I kind of want to live free ride free. How do I do that? So that's really the point of this podcast. We are going to talk to mentors. We are going to talk to really interesting people who've done it, who've made it, who've bootstrapped it, who've come up from wherever they've come up from and have done extraordinary things that people said they sort of couldn't do. In this first season, I've got the amazing Sir Tim Smith, who is the head of the Eden Project in England. Absolutely amazing man who was actually a musician and then a music producer and then sort of fell out of the industry and ended up in Cornwall with his family, wondering a bit what to do and discovered these gardens behind a wall and turned them into the Lost Gardens of Heligan, which is now, I think it's the third or fourth most visited tourist attraction in the UK. And then he started the Eden Project, which is rainforests under roofs, massively successful billion dollar project. And he's now doing these environmental education Eden centers internationally all over the world. Absolutely incredible, man. How did he achieve it? How did he go from wondering what to do with his family in Cornwall to that? Well, he's going to tell us. What did he say with all the naysayers? Well, he's going to tell us. How did he find the money? He's going to tell us. How did he find the drive and the energy and the, and the mastermind community that he had to pull together? And where did he find mentorship? He's going to tell us. We've also got the amazing Tony Lyons, a guy you've never heard of, but you might have seen his books. He is a publisher in New York and he has Skyhorse Publishing. And he's one of these guys who will publish all the stuff that other people just will not publish. All the super controversial stuff, all the stuff that can really sometimes get you in trouble. I stayed at his house once and picked up the fact that the FBI were actually monitoring the internet there. Um, very, very brave man, very, very cool man, has made an absolute success of this, bringing, if you like, truth to the masses. How did he go from a guy in New York working on Alaskan fishing boats, trying to make some money, to running this incredible publishing house that does the cutting edge, all the conspiracy theory stuff, but really looking at where the truths of it are and where the smoke and mirrors of it are, all of the really interesting stuff that some of us maybe don't want to look at, but are always fascinated by, even down to things like coloring books and anything, anything that will work. How did he do it? How, how do you become that sort of an entrepreneur? Well, he's going to tell us. I've got the incredible Warwick Schiller. Warwick Schiller's a horse trainer, but he's much more than that. He runs an incredibly successful podcast and online video library that has made him so independent that he's now on a mission to explore another of his passions, which is shamanic healing and self-transformation in these different places around the world, the rainforest, the deserts, and so on. He lives this incredible life. Um, he started just with horses in a round pen. In fact, before that, in a sheep farm in, in Australia. How did he get from there to here? How does anybody get from there to here? It's a process, and it's a process of dreaming. First, small dreams that become bigger and bigger and bigger, and one, one dream bridges to another dream. He now mentors people, Warwick, in how to do this. Jane Pike, the incredible Jane Pike from New Zealand. 
another horsewoman, but who has moved into the realm of understanding the nervous system and its effect on the brain and has taken that type of neuroscience out to the masses in a way that is really quite unprecedented. How did she do that? She was sitting in a, on a farm in New Zealand, wondering what to do during COVID, during lockdown with her children. And, but she'd always had this interest. She starts writing about it on the internet. And then from there, she begins to podcast and she begins to broadcast stuff. And little by little, it grows until it becomes this sort of engine. How did she do it? She's going to tell us. Megan Beasley, Dr. Megan Beasley, anthropologist gone rogue, who worked with the Bushmen of the Kalahari, the Khoisan people, known for their healing, hunter-gatherers, has helped them get their land back after mass evictions and, and illegal, all sorts of horrible illegal stuff out there. She started as an academic, went and lived with these people, and then has parlayed that over 30 years into one of the most successful sort of community benefit organizations called the Kalahari People's Fund that it currently exists between Africa and the USA. Very, very humble lady, but she, she took a dream of these people that she sort of fell in love with and has turned it into a success for herself and for them that has actually sort of gotten them their land back. And how did she do it? How did she get from there to here? And what steps can you take? So what I don't want to do is denigrate the idea of getting a job for security. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. When I was piecing it together myself to become a writer or a horse trainer or producing other types of media, the jobs that I did gave me the money to build what I wanted to build. And then I would risk certain amounts of money to go off and do expeditions, which I would then try and sell to magazines and newspapers. And that's why sometimes I was successful and sometimes I was not. But the, the overall momentum eventually took over after a certain number of years. So there's nothing wrong with saying, well, you know, I want to have a job so that at the weekends or in holidays, I can pursue my interests. That perfectly good. What is tricky is if one says, I'm going to work for 30 years and only when I retire, am I then going to allow myself to follow my passions and my interests? The problem with that is it kills the soul, as we know. And we don't have to put it off. You might die tomorrow. You don't have to wait for that. You can, we can all live free, ride free now. Some people also say, oh, it's too late for me. You know, I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 60s, whatever. Well, I'm in my 50s. It's never too late. It's never, never too late. If you're breathing, it's not too late. And some of the people which we're going to be interviewing here were late starters. People who only really got going in their 40s, 50s and 60s after, if not drifting for some decades, certainly not really finding fulfillment. A really good example, I think, of somebody who did what you might call a Joe job or a job that he didn't find at any, at any rate fulfilling, but ended up parlaying that into massive success was the author Charles Bukowski. Some of you may know him, very controversial writer from the 60s and 70s, but a real genius. Well, he worked in the postal service for decades and decades before his writing ever got going. And he, of course, he used that and he used the frustration of that to some degree in his writing and created some very powerful, very funny things. But now he's a household name. So it's not that you have to completely buck the system. It's not that you have to not have a job. It's not that you have to not put some, you know, 
emphasis on security and that sort of thing. But what you don't want to do is say, well, I can't follow the dreams. I can put off fulfillment because I haven't got the time. I haven't got the wherewithal. Clearly, there is a way to bridge from one to the other. And that's what the people here on Live Free, Ride Free are going to teach us. All right. So how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to do it in two stages. So each person's going to come on and we're going to interview them and have their story. How did they get there from here? But then we're going to have them back. And you guys, you, the listeners, can ask them your questions. Some of that's going to be live and some of that's going to be you emailing them in. And we will have them answer your questions so that we can get mentorship going. So that those of us who want to benefit from the wisdom of a Tim Smith, a Warwick Schiller, a Tony Lyons, a Jane Pike, a Megan Beasley, we can actually tap into them directly. So it's going to be a two-staged process. Inspired thought leads to inspired action, leads to an inspired life. Thoughts become habits. Habits become destiny. Thoughts become things. So we want to think good thoughts. So join us on the adventure to live free, ride free. Look us up on my websites too, ntls.co, which is our neuroscience and autism work that we do, and longridehome.com, which is our shamanism, personal development, and horse training. Also check out our other podcast, Equine Assisted World, which looks into this fascinating universe of how people use horses to heal, basically, whether it's physical, neuropsychiatric, emotional, you name it. There's this incredible world out there that's developing all the time and we're looking at it. So give it a shot. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join our website, newtrailslearning.com to check out our online courses and live workshops in Horseboy Method, Movement Method and Athena. These evidence-based programs have helped children, veterans and people dealing with trauma around the world. We also offer a horse training program and self-care program for riders on longridehome.com. These include easy-to-do online courses and tutorials that bring you and your horse joy. For an overview of all shows and programs, go to rupertisaacson.com. See you on the next show. And please remember to press subscribe and share.